Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, hey, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, and show notes are found at 805connect.com. Hey, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. This show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. Today, I've got a new friend but good friend, Steve Miles, visiting here. How are you, Steve? I'm good, and I hope the show is as good as your introduction, oh. <laughs> which was uh, <laughs> terrific, and um, I feel good. I, now, I look good because very few podcast people have makeup artists to give you makeup for something that's not on television, and I, I feel real, really like I look good, and I'm going to get a good, good show for that reason. Good. Yeah, Thank so. you. Sorry. So, um, Steve, you, you're a part-time Santa Barbara resident. I've, I've had a house here for about 25 years, and usually I'm out here about th- three months every year for the last 25, 30 years, yes. And what's interesting is when you're here, you're, you're very off the radar here in Santa Barbara, and you, you network like crazy. I mean, you have dinner with someone new every night, and you, you know, you very, that's how we met, right? That's true. Through, through yes. kickboxing, and uh, yet in Baltimore, you're a celebrity. Yeah, I'm unknown here, and I'm very known back uh, Baltimore, which I refer to as the best of the mediocre cities, and I'm very well known there. Yes, and that's so. You're a so just we'll set it up a little bit. Yeah. You're a criminal defense criminal attorney. defense attorney, and well known there because I was the first lawyer in Baltimore to advertise on TV back in the late '70s. It started, yes. and that was when you couldn't as a as. The legal profession couldn't advertise, right? You could not. Now, why, would, why was it you couldn't advertise? Because, I mean, that's a service that everybody needs. It, right. Unfortunately, at some time in, in life, you need an attorney. Well, as one who was the first in Maryland and <clears throat> who was a recipient of, of numerous attacks from different people, including lawyers, which was interesting because, again, lawyers who would defend the right of Nazis to go up and down the street and, you know, and scream racial epithets for the First Amendment, Yet lawyers as a group would deny this to their own group, other lawyers. I think the reason was twofold. One, lawyers wanted to portray themselves as something special, holier than now. And if you would advertise on TV, you become not so holier than now. And they liked that image so they could charge more money. And then I think those who did not have big practices, uh, smaller kind of practices, would look at this potentially as someone taking their business through advertising. So they wanted to keep those out because no one did it then, so they could see that threat coming. And, of course, all studies show that lawyer advertising was good for people. It lowered lawyer rates uh, in terms of hourly rates. It provided services for free to people that otherwise would not know where to go. So it was all for the good. But that's the reason why. Selfish, selfishness, I guess, would be the reason not to do it. How did you um, – what was it where you had the idea, God, if I could just advertise? Mm-hmm. And you already knew you couldn't advertise, but you said, hold it. I'm going to go challenge that. What? Tell me how that – what was that spark? Well, uh, the spark was at that time I had done mainly criminal law. Criminal law, you're, you're, you're out in court from about 9 in the morning till 5 in the evening – and you have to like, uh, you know, you have to see your clients and do investigation after five o'clock at night. So it was oh. the thrill of it was kind of wearing off. And then a light bulb goes off that you're helping keeping criminals on the street. And you think maybe you'd like to change that. And I grew up in the retail appliance businesses. My uncles what? at that time. Oh, and we never talked about that. My uncles had the largest appliance chain in Maryland called Luskins. And I started working there, and I was 12 years old. So I had a good business. Most Child labor laws. Uh, we we didn't pay attention to. It. As my uncles, you know, they like they of felt course. they felt fairly safe. Yes. You know, of course, had I known now what I knew then, I would have sued my uncles, and maybe I could have made even more money than the paltry sum that they paid me to start there. And uh, so I knew retail. I knew about advertising. I grew up in in that. Oh, got and, it. You know, most lawyers aren't good business people. And so I was a combination. I thought of myself as a good person, a good business person, and it was an opportunity to change fields within the field by advertising for personal injury cases, medical malpractice, because I wanted to do a change, but I didn't want to give up law. So that's what was interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about that because you, you, you 
when you look at your career, there, there's an entrepreneurial thread through all of that, to your point. Right. And you think that came from being around the uncles. Absolutely, growing up in the retail world. Yeah, other kids went to camp. I went to my uncle's store for 12 hours a day. Right. I didn't think it was so great at that time, quite frankly. No, I mean, I did the yeah. same thing. Okay. I, I started working really young. Right. So you, but it worked you out get for the that, best. Right. Yeah, and then you want to work for yourself. That, that was a no-brainer. Uh, I had to work from a big law atmosphere was not for me. And quite frankly, in those days, uh, big law firms weren't too big on Jewish lawyers. They would hire one Jew to do the tax work, and that would be it. So most lawyers, if you look at the history of TV advertising, the initial lawyers across America tended to be Jewish. And the reason for that is because they couldn't get jobs in big law firms, and they wanted to work you know, second best on themselves. So that absolutely is, is how it started. And so... Was there actually laws against advertising, or it was just the common practice that you no, didn't do No, there were it? actually laws. Bar, not like a law placed by the state, but by the, by the bar associations in each state. And if you advertised in any form, uh, you would be disbarred. Any form being what you commonly think of, TV, radio, anything but a business card. They actually would have in the rules, business cards would be okay, your sign on your door is okay. But nothing couldn't else. Couldn't do yellow pages. You could do uh, you could do nothing. They would How just would bar you. How would people find you? Well, that's the whole point. In other words, most people in that era, uh, to get a lawyer, would have to be somebody that they knew. So by definition, that was a lawyer or was in business that knew somebody to recommend. So almost by definition, you didn't know who to go to. Sure. Uh, then you would sure. have the historical, the runners, people who would get paid cases for lawyers and pay out money and get money from the lawyers to do that, which is totally illegal. Um, and distasteful. So that's how you would get a lawyer. So you, you're in the appliance business, and then you, what got you to say, God, I, I want to go be a lawyer? Well, I would always like the advertising aspect of the business, and I was close friends with the marketing guy who did the advertising because my uncles did their own ads. So well, I they wrote the, do you recommend do you recommend that to people to write your own ads? Well, it depends on how good the ads are. I think, of course, I'm a little biased for, for myself, but I think my ads were pretty good. In other words, I always used to try to separate my ads, especially when other lawyers came in for competitors. They tend to be sort of low end. And like you would put on TV now, you know, like the Judge Judy shows, or whatever, there'd be 100 lawyers there. And I only advertised in prime time, sort of like. Uh, Donald Trump's theory that he'd rather have one ten than five twos. My feeling was if I advertised in prime time, people would say, this guy must be better yeah, than the right, other guys. Right, he's not right. these crappy shows during the right. day. And I'd be on the prime time stuff. And, and I got that from, you know, working at Monkle, seeing the different forms so of advertising. Our, so our first tip to the small business person right now is to, if you're going to advertise on TV, which is a different question, if that's even valid anymore. Yes. Um, buy one expensive ad in prime time rather than a bunch of ads during the day when your clients, your target market isn't even watching TV? Uh, well, they might be watching, but you, 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 it's a better image for you, better quality. Sort of like you, you only have high quality guests like me, which means that's why your podcast gets listened to so often See? by so many people. Exactly. It's the exact same analogy. You know, when uh, our listener knows I had a software company, I mean, I still do, but I was in the animation software business and we would go to trade shows, right? Of course. And what we did was we would do, we had the advantage with computer animation of having pretty sexy graphics, right? Lots of flying logos and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's fun to watch, eye candy, right? And we would do 15 to 30 second spots, but we found that we could buy what's called adjacencies during the morning program. So there's the people going to the conference, they're getting dressed Right. you know, to rush off to the conference. And they've got a news program on or Good Morning America or, or the Today Show or something. And what happens, you've got the big national ads and then adjacent to that ad mm -hmm. are local ads that the local Las Vegas station can sell. Right. And they're literally only a couple hundred bucks. I mean, they're not very much money at all. But if your ad runs right after a Ford commercial or some big ad, someone's like, hold it, I, I saw you guys on, I didn't know you had that big a budget or you're, National, you're on the Today Show. No, oh no my God! No quite. I mean, you were best smarter than me because you got it on the cheap. I, of course, had to pay prime time prices for prime time. So, so you buy you adjacencies. Should you should have been an attorney and advertised on TV. <laughs> you would have done better than me, and I did pretty good. Well, I think we did okay. All so, right. you know, as I was uh, as I was doing research for the show, I I wanted to 
because you had this, you're pretty famous for your ads. Yes. And uh, extremely famous, as it turns out. And uh, they just made them onto, found it on YouTube like four years ago. Someone found it and put it up on YouTube. And I was reading the comments from that. Oh, and I've never I was, read them. Oh my gosh, the oh. comments on your on they, lo- video, they like me or hate me. They loved it. That's good to they, know. Because it was like they they remembered um, it was I guess in the eighties. They were very hot, heavy rotation 80s and as 90s, they say. Yeah, yeah heavy big, rotation. Big time. And uh, there were people who have grown up now and they said, Oh yeah, all during my childhood, that was my favorite jingle. So what was your what was the jingle? Well, my thing was let's talk about it. That was my catchphrase. Let's uh, talk about let's it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, copywriting and all. In in fact, you'll get a kick out of this. Erwin uh, uh, Eve, who a local uh, locally owns uh, Okiali Eyeglassware, and he actually called me uh, in Baltimore last week ago because he had a customer in there and said she was from Baltimore. And he started talking. He said, you know, my friend uh, in Baltimore, on TV, I'm known as Stephen L. Miles. Here, I'm known as Steve Miles. I have a whole thing going on there, persona. And she couldn't believe that Irwin knew me. So they, they called oh. so they called me from the Irwin called me from the store. So I told Irwin this is great because he never believed I was really famous and this was like good for my ego for, and she grew up with me, again, different generation. And no she kidding. grew up watching my commercials, yes. Well it's interesting how Santa Barbara is a place for people who have done well. There's there's a certain set of the population. They've done well elsewhere and they come here and kind of retire here. And yet you came here, would you say 20 years ago? Bought a house about 25, but my brother retired from UCSB as a professor. So I've been coming out for about 35, 40 years. And you said, oh my gosh, this place is great. I want to be here. This is great. And I had to wait till I was saving enough money that I could pay four and a half dollars for an espresso in order to come (laughs) out here. (laughs) I know. And we we enjoy coffee every Saturday morning. I I love that. I want to go back to the law a little bit because when the, the person who's listening to this show, they're a business person or they've got a startup or they're an entrepreneur or there's some, something that's kind of the common thread that runs through all of this. And I'm, I'm thinking of a law practice or a professional practice as a business. Let's talk about that for a little bit. What's that like, just the running it as a business? What? Well, what? it's like anything else. I mean, the basic end on any business is at the, at the end of the year, are you making money or are you losing money? And again, a lot of professionals, doctors, uh, lawyers who work so hard, they don't really know how to evaluate cases properly in terms of the amount of time you, to put into it. I've got friends who are extremely smart guys and, and smart women, and they, they financially do terrible because they spend so much time on things where you can't come out in the black because of the time you put in it. So the main thing there would be, in fact, a, a lot of lawyers probably are better off if they would just hire a business person as consultants, uh, which some doctors do. Lawyers are a little slow off the mark even to this day in terms of doing that because you can be, I know, again, you're the most brilliant lawyer that I ever lived, but you don't get clients and you're out of business or you take a case that has no good ending for you financially and they take that and put themselves out of business that way. So again, it's, I think from working, uh, growing up in a retail world, I saw the whole issue of a business. Also, this, I would hear the complaints from, from the people who would buy appliances from my uncle, and I knew that. Oh. Uh, so the service is like any business. Service, serve the secret to Zappos, the secret to Amazon. It's not a secret. It's service. Uh, biggest complaint, because you advertise on, on TV, and my name was so well known, anytime someone has a problem with their lawyer, they want to fire them. And then they call me to switch lawyers, which philosophically I just never do that because I don't feel like making enemies out there. But I would oh, say so you wouldn't do that. Oh, I don't. That's a firm rule to this day. I will not do that. Will not do that. And um, invariably, it's because they, they can't talk to their lawyer. The phone calls are not returned. They can't get them on the phone. Oh. Uh, when they get them, it's a secretary calling. So it's 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 a service business, and and lawyers don't they don't they don't get that. And of course, for every complaint you get, there's ten more that you don't get that they go to friends and relatives, and your word spreads. Well, they're a terrible lawyer. And, and, of course, the public, they don't know whether you're a good lawyer or not. How would they know? They're not lawyers themselves. You don't really know if your doctor's a good doctor. You don't really know if your lawyer's a good lawyer. You go by how they treat you, bedside matter. Do they get back to me? Do they not get back to me? Things like that. So I learned that growing up in the retail business. you got to treat your client uh, like a customer because, in effect, they are. It's a profession, but you've got to make it like a business. And a good business, you take care of your, your customers. 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't really think, you don't think of that. I just think there's that person and I need to talk in six minute increments. Sure. I mean, we, we have a business law firm that helps right. us with our business and we literally plan the phone call in six minute increments because I know that's how we're going to get billed. Yeah. And we don't chit chat. We don't. We yeah, do, that's do the downside. That. Well, that's a good thing on malpractice and personal injury kind of thing because you don't charge. It's all on a contingency basis, so you can spend more time with the client. Mm. They don't mind it because they're not looking at their clock. Am I getting charged for this? And I'm right. not looking at the clock. And, uh, you know, I started off doing criminal. My criminals stuck with me. So even when I built this mammoth personal injury practice, I still end up with a ton of criminal work, which I always liked the best. I still liked it to that day. And that I would always charge a flat fee, so the time factor did not come in, which, would, of course, would be oh, a negative for both sides. What is it about, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the person now who's listening. They're trying to figure out what they want to do with their, in their life. Right. You know, they're younger. And make the case for why they should be a lawyer. Well, the case for that would be, number one, if you want to do good for the world. There are lots of areas now that you could do uh, a bunch of nonprofits where you still get paid and you can make it for better for the so environment. So be an in-house lawyer at a, a fund or... In-house for a fund and learn what you're doing and then go out and sue large corporations that are maybe raping America, things like that. Uh, some people are altruistic and they think that so many innocent people get arrested, which is not really true, but <laughs> that's... Uh, generally, most people get arrested because they did something, but there are some innocent ones and some people who might think about doing a career doing that. Uh, poor so people number one, do, do, yeah. doing good for the world. That's the first. Yeah. Like, we wanna, it's a service. Yeah, or for people and others. For example, historically, uh, public defender's offices, for example, get 90% of criminal business in the major cities. I don't know how it is in Santa Barbara. And they're so overwhelmed, they generally do a crappy job. Yeah, so. I was just going to say, that doesn't sound very fulfilling because no. it's, 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 every. Thing you see, and it's, I, my only experience is watching mm -hmm. on TV is that public defenders' offices are just overworked and they've got overworked, way too many cases. Right, and and so maybe a young lawyer would want to be a criminal lawyer and charge less fees to give somebody a good defense. So that would be another reason why you want to do that. Uh, but I, again, I think the main reason is the opportunity to do some in certain areas of law to do good for the world, especially now with the global warming, all that kind of stuff going do, on. Do they, um, sometimes the appeal is just the kind of intellectual stimulation and challenges and all of that. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I mean, if we were I'd to say, talk to first year law students yeah. and we say, why are you here? What What's going to get most of the hands up? Well, in my, money? In my era, era, it would have been, I don't want to go to Vietnam. That, okay. that would have been the number right. one response. Uh, nowadays, I think, well, also TV shows, it was unbelievable. Like a hundred years ago when LA Law was one example. Sure. Law school applications, they like oh, tripled. Really? Yeah, it's unbelievable really? how, how that impacts. It's kind of like today with colleges when a college wins the Division One national championship. Uh, right. The applications go through the roof. A close friend of mine was a, a basketball coach in University of Maryland for 100 years, Gary Williams. And the year they won the national championship, he got this huge rage because the school, their applications just went through the roof, which, of course, you get a better student and the school gets rated much higher sure. nationally. Sure. Uh, so you've got that kind of thing going on, too. So that might be part of it. But I think uh, the TV shows do that. And you look on it like glamorous because well, TV lawyer shows are in court, courtroom scenes. Right. And nine out of ten lawyers have never been in a courtroom. They don't mm. go to court. So many cases, that's why I like criminal law. They go to court. And I just love being in the, in the courtroom, the drama of it. A criminal law I like the best because there's very little pretrial discovery in criminal law. So you really have to be quick on your feet. And I love the whole surprise aspect. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, give me what's – give me – okay, I got to hear a – give me yeah. a couple of surprise stories. Oh, well, this one, of course, will like me uh, – You'll like, this one sort of sticks. The fact that it sticks shows you I just made very few mistakes in my life. I, okay, so let's get that out of the way okay. right now. Okay. So I always remember the time where uh, one of the many charges my client with distributing, dis distributing drugs and this, that, and the other was possession of paraphernalia at that time, uh, which was a pipe, which it turns out had a little screen down the bottom. But I couldn't – nobody could see the screen. So I've got the cop on the stand, and I'm – being an obnoxious defense lawyer, which I can do pretty good, and I'm beating on them, and I'm standing in front of that jury, and I'm going, now, Detective Johnson, this pipe that you say is a paraphernalia. Would you show the jury, please, how it differs from any other pipe? And then he goes in his pocket, and he takes out a little pen knife, and he digs in, and he goes, well, this little screen here, 
And uh, oh. <laughs> that was it. Uh, and then what else? That was a surprise. Uh, that was a surprise. Or the time when my client swore he only had one drink. And I, I tended to believe him, charged with drunk driving, a jury trial. And then it turns out his one drink. Uh, out of the blue, he reaches down and you brought in with a little bag that he didn't show me. The super big gulp cup from 7-Eleven. That was his one drink. That was his one drink. So little things like that could happen. But He brought again, that into the courtroom? Yeah, and I didn't see what he had. That was a little bit of a surprise. But it, it's, again, you, don't, you, know, you don't, can't take depositions in advance like you do for civil cases. So you never know what's going to come out of a witness's mouth. Uh, and, and generally what will happen in, in advance, the prosecutors will tell their witnesses, don't talk to the defense lawyer, you're talking to the devil. And the defense lawyer will tell his people, don't you talk to the prosecutor. So both sides have this, you never know what's going to pop up during a trial. In a criminal trial, something is going to happen, and it always does happen, because you don't know what's going to happen. Civil, you do, if you've done your job right. That's why I never really like civil law. Why do we, as a culture, have such a fascination with law and order? I mean, hell, there's a show named right. Law and Order, but why... And, and it's been ever since we've had TV. It started with Dragnet. Uh, why the fascination? I guess, number one, just crime in general. Why? I mean, uh, watching but, the train I mean, wreck. That's a train wreck. kind of. Well, everybody is, loves it? a train wreck. Why? They, we love a train wreck. Why? Why do, why do we like that? It's the failing of people. I'm going to keep asking why. I don't suffer from that because I'm not like you like that. But uh, people like to, you know, why do people, when you're rubbernecking on the highway, they like that. Why do people watch NASCAR, with a, you know, with round and around and around? You wait 5,000 laps for the crash. Uh, people like that kind of thing. So um, who knows the fascination? We have to get a psychiatrist on the show to back this show up to give us the correct explain, answers yeah. to explain all the phenomena of this whole thing and the drama of it on the law and order. And again, because you don't know what's going to happen and how did that mm. work out kind of thing and the amount of guilty people that go free and, the, and X amount of times that uh, the innocent get convicted. All that happens both directions. You're, I mean, you're still practicing law, yes. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in the heyday when you had, how many offices did you have? Uh, in the heyday, I had eight offices and about 60 employees. And in and this is pre DNA, correct? Pre DNA. How has that changed everything? Well, it's changed immensely now because, for example, if well, it's going to sound like very harsh. Uh, part of the whole DNA, and it's on TV so much now, it's still a factor. But like, for example, historically in rape cases, it's a huge tool now. Obviously, if one does not, the assailant does not use a condom. But of course, the TV shows now have educated the criminals. Uh, but oh. in DNA, you know what I mean? So they know to wear a oh, condom. Right. But they, uh, but even with, with, with uh, well, I guess the, the biggest change would be with, with the sexual assault cases and the pubic hair, things like that. And it expands the test, expands all in all, you know, all the time what they can come up with. So it, it's drastically changed in terms of if you have it, uh, make it easier to, con to get a conviction. But the Converse of that has also happened now in that juries want the DNA from watching Law and & Order and things like uh. that. And I've won cases because they want to know, like, well, why? Well, what happened to the DNA? He, uh, he, had, he touched the victim's coat, supposedly. Weren't, weren't there be fibers from his right. coat or from hair, his finger? Hair, little follicles of Fol something, yeah, so, yeah. little skin cells. Yeah, because the public doesn't understand the DNA testing is extremely expensive, time-consuming. Oh. It's a huge backup, so um, it's actually aided when you have it in getting convictions, but I'm, I'm convinced there's more non-convictions because juries now go, well, where's that DNA? Whereas years ago, they never said, where's that DNA? Because there was no DNA to get. So, juries are smarter now? Well, I guess it depends on your perspective. The prosecutors would argue, well, they're not so smart because don't they know you can't get DNA off of this or off of that, and the DNA cost will cost the cost will cost the city an extra two thousand dollars, and we have to wait three months to get it. That kind of thing. So I would say they're they're more aware of DNA testing, uh, and whether in terms of their brain power really depends on your jury pool that you're picking from, which community. Uh, the socioeconomic level of the community that you're picking the jury from in terms of how smart they are. Um, jury of your peers. Yeah. Is that true? No, of course it's not true. In other words, the jury of your peers would be, I'm Jewish, so I want 12 Jews on the jury if I'm going to have, like, my peers, a black person, one black, 12 black people. So of your peers is is more in name than in, rea in reality. The law has changed in that now in uh, 
I guess there have been cases now for about the last 10 years where prosecutors historically in places like Baltimore, where I'm from, where you have a large uh, African-American community, uh, prosecutors in the right kind of case would not want black people in the jury and they would start just striking them off willy-nilly. Now they have to articulate to the judge if it looks like there's a pattern to doing that, the reasons why. It's very subjective, uh, but they have to do that and the judges will put a stop to it if they see that going on. So that jury of your peers has expanded a little bit to a little bit of reality you, you know, that, you, that you can't just strike off. Predominantly now it's a racial thing when that happens. Part of um, being a citizen yes. is sitting on a jury. Correct. And it's a, it's a probably, a, is it a right? It's an obligation. But almost everybody I know doesn't want to sit on a jury. Correct. Pain what? in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Baltimore, it's pretty tough. If you're not there, they'll issue a, a body attachment for you if you get the a notice. Body, what's a body attachment? Uh, and a, a warrant for Sounds your like arrest. Sounds like a zombie movie. Uh, well, they call it a body attachment, a warrant for your arrest if you don't show up for the jury duty. Uh, they just and, and to get out of a jury, the jury duty once you're there is very, very difficult. I always, um, I don't want to get this barred for this, but I always explain to people hypothetically if hypothetically, this would impedic right. you. No one's listening to the show. Exactly. Well, you have a tremendous, I just hope, if this isn't Baltimore, I could be getting in trouble. But, uh, for example, hypothetically, if you're in a criminal trial and you don't want to sit, when they say if there's any reason you, 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 you shouldn't be here, you raise your hand and you say to the judge, well, I firmly believe that they would not be arrested if, unless they were guilty. And, of course, typically what the judge will then say to the person to try to talk them out of the position, they'll say, well, Mr. Sylvester, aren't you a proud, good American? Aren't you a fair person? Aren't you a good human being? Aren't you nice to, like, little children? And, therefore, can't you be fair and objective, figuring most people will go, well, well, now that you mention it, Your Honor, but you got to stick to your guns and say, no, I can't be fair, and I'm not a good American, and everybody's guilty. And you get out of that. In a civil case, all you have to do is say, I hate insurance companies, or you think everybody's a faker, and don't change your position. Not that I'm advocating that if it's not true out there. Let's let's be funny, right? As a result of the show, I got disbarred out of Baltimore after 45 years. <laughs> so anyway, so but it no, is no, but it's, a, if if you really do have a let's say a conscientious objection, yes, right? You're 4F, not 4A, right? right. You were 4A, right? That's right. Uh, so your your conscientious objector to it. Just stick with that. Don't get yeah, talked don't about. Yeah, don't let the judge. Because lawyers and uh, a judge is just a lawyer who's just worked up the food chain, right? Worked up. Not yeah. Judges are not generally they're, they're not. are they picked. lawyers originally? Oh, you have to be a lawyer. Uh, right. But they're not. Although, did you know to be uh, a Supreme Court justice, you don't have to be a lawyer? Look really? that one up. That's true. Yeah, everybody out there Google that. And on, you'll see you don't have to be a lawyer. On, stay on Supreme Court for yeah. a second. Um, I was reading in your um, – and things that you're allowed to do, admitted to practice law and following courts. Yes. You can practice law in the Supreme Court of the United States, but that it says you're allowed to do that. What does that mean? Well, you, you, you it, mail whatever you, you mail on a form. Yeah, you fill out a form. That's all that means. But they have, in other words, they pick and choose. Obviously, everybody would love to go to the Supreme Court. That'd be great, my ad. Supreme Court lawyer, that would be good. But once you get through a, cert a certain level of appellate work, they right. pick and choose what cases they want to hear. And obviously, oh. normally, they're, they're, they're cases of, for, that can set public policy right, rightly, right, right, so they're not right. going to pick a normal case. It's got to be a big, big issue to work your way up the food chain. You know. So um, th that's have you been to uh, higher courts in the state of Maryland? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I've been to uh, the, the our highest court is the Court of Appeals of Maryland. And uh, I actually have the case um, Miller v. State, which has to do with guilty pleas. And the, the, the agreement I had with the state would be they would be silent as to the disposition, um, the sentencing of my client uh, after he pled guilty. And at the disposition, the lawyer said, well, Your Honor, the deal was that we're not going to make a recommendation, but we don't agree with the pre-sentence report. They did a pre-sentence evaluation, which is pretty normal, where the probation department checks into the background of the person who committed the crime. Right. And the pre-sentence report recommended probation. So if this idiot then says they disagree with it, uh, I interpreted that to be a recommendation for jail. So the judge, and they're not necessarily chosen for their intelligence, disagreed with me. And the next level, uh, Court of Special Appeals, they agreed with the trial judge. And finally, at the Court of Appeals, I won that. And that, to, to this day, is the landmark case in Maryland on guilty pleas. 
and the state's agreement to be silent, exactly what silent means, and silent means shut up and be silent. So, um, yeah, I have been to appellate courts. What was your um, biggest success? I, I tell you, I didn't, I didn't keep track of that. I, mean, I got a big ego, but not that big. So, I mean, I've tried literally thousands of cases, you know, over the years. And, uh, and every once in a while, you actually get a guy who might be innocent. I have one criminal case once where I forget the facts, but the, 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 I actually proved it was a Perry Mason moment during the, it was a three-week jury trial. And I was able to get enough documentation up during the trial that the cop was actually indicted for perjury after the trial. Really? And, yeah, in the, in the middle of the trial, the judge threw it out. So the, every, the, those make you feel good because there are some, very few, but there are some innocent people that are charged because, you know, the burden of proof is not beyond, is not to a mathematical certainty. Uh, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So the whole system, for example, when the, the two verdicts being guilty or not guilty, I always found that to be like helps out the, the, the prosecutors because when you're saying not guilty, that doesn't mean the person's not guilty. Like when you see the headline, so-and-so exonerated, they're not really exonerated. The verdict really should be guilty or insufficient evidence to find them guilty. That mm. way, and which would be easier, I think, for the jury to say. I think sometimes uh, juries have a hard time saying not guilty. They don't understand the difference between not beyond the reasonable doubt and actually having to find someone not guilty that they, did, that they didn't do it. So the word's not guilty. Really, it's really insufficient evidence to prove the state did not so prove the case. So to your, I mean, part of our part of the legal system says you're in, you're innocent until proven guilty. Correct. And that you've said that most of the people you defended they were guilty. They don't Correct. typically going to arrest innocent people. Typically. Is it fair to say that um, with the the reality of budget cuts in Police departments, right. I mean, they're woefully underfunded, right? We would agree. Historically, always underfunded. Right. That, um, and always that, low pay, which is why you don't get the best caliber of people there sometimes. So the, so the costs of arresting and prosecuting and all of that right. is, is uh, kind of a, a deterrent that you don't even think about. It's like there's, there's nothing in it for them to go arrest innocent people. The, correct. Correct. And... Um, you know, it's funny then that you're talking about the arrests in police department. Of course, Baltimore is known recently for the Freddie Gray case, a big nationally publicized right. case with, right. with regards to that. And we, uh, before I left town, I had this one case coming up, and I was typically a criminal case in Baltimore gets postponed a half a dozen times. So I had one that was set for the Thursday before I was coming out from my big Santa Barbara trip. So I figured it's going to get postponed. Six, you know, I, this is no problem. I'll postpone. I'll do it when I get back, and you know, yeah, I go back in December. And they were going to call it because what's happened in Baltimore as a result of the police being so angry at the police who were arrested in the Freddie Gray case, and they were arrested purely for political reasons, Not there was never going to be a case against them, they've stopped arresting people. In oh, Baltimore right now, flat out they, they won't arrest. They're, they're so angry with the state's attorney's office, they're not arresting people. So fortunately, it was a judge that I knew, bringing back the old, the old axiom that a good lawyer knows the law, but a better one knows the judge kind of thing. I was yeah. able to get it postponed. Yeah. I was going, oh, my God, I can't interrupt with going to Santa Barbara. Clients on bail, no big, <laughs> no big deal. What's going on here? But they've actually, uh, the backup of, of cases in Baltimore courts for the first time ever is actually slowed down drastically. You can get cases tried. Sadly, it's because they won't arrest people right now because they're so ticked off. Yeah, I, I've got to think that there's a, a national debate here around that. I mean, there's so much has happened since Ferguson. And I mean, we just look at the race-related right, no. issues. Well, you know, in the Freddie Ray case, which a lot of people don't know, and then, of course, the, the media loves the whole racial thing. Three of the cops were black, three were white. So that really wasn't. It was more of a uh, of the disparity of how you treat the, the police department, the cultural divide between the police department and poorer people as, as to race. Three were black and three were white. And the only reason they were charged is because the, the state's attorney thought by arresting the cops quickly uh, and charging them, it would quell the riots that were starting to take place in but Baltimore. But there were mad riots. Uh, they weren't that bad. They were more, because I lived through like the Martin Luther King riots, which were riot riots. These were in a three or four block area. They might have had more media covering it right. than there were right. rioters. Right. Uh, but the state's attorney, to quell that, whatever level they were, immediately has these cops uh, arrested, and they were acquitted in court trials. You know, historically in criminal law, criminal lawyers refer to a, a trial in front of a judge as a long guilty plea, because historically judges find, God, statistically 95% of people guilty. 
and if you want to get off, you take a jury trial. So when these oh, guys... Oh, is this another tip from Steve? Oh, no question. This is an absolute fact. So um, they so they were so there was such little evidence against them having committed a crime as, as such. They were all acquitted by, ju- by the judge, not even a jury. So it wasn't one of those... And an African-American judge who, when he was a U.S. attorney, specialized in prosecuting crooked cops. So this mm. should have been the ideal judge for the for the state's attorney's office in there. So that's the the philosophical question there. Do you potentially destroy six cops' careers right, and their families right, just right, just right. for political reasons? Which would happen? Do you also then, in the Freddie Gray case, give the Freddie Gray's lawyer for settlement six point two million dollars uh, for Freddie Gray, whose lonely loss of income was dealing drugs, which would be hard to prove. Uh, you know, to, to, to an exact science. Uh, and uh, the cap for personal injury for those kind of cases in Maryland against the state or the city was $200,000. And the lawyer is extremely close friends uh, with the mayor of Baltimore who authorized that settlement. And for whatever you want to read into it, she's not running again. So one maybe would like to look at her bank record somewhere down the road. Uh, in other words, the guy got $6.2 million dollars. There is a cap of $200,000. So if you had the worst lawyer in the history of mankind trying it for the city of Baltimore, the most they could have lost is $200,000. Right. It was settled for $2.2 million. I'm going to take a different tack now, which is... Um, That's good. I know I'm thinking of lawyers that I've met and known over life, and they are now in another business. They're like business people, or they're they're not lawyers anymore. But right. they, there's a lot of um, a lot of people have law as a background. Mm-hmm. So w- what is it about that? Why? Well, I'm thinking of President Obama, right? Harvard right. Law, right? Mm-hmm. What what is it about that? Where someone says, "I'm going to go get a law degree because I want to go do something else." Or is it that so that would be the one and the B uh, answer is they want to go into law for whatever reason that is. um, And then they try it for a couple of years. Oh, hold, hold it. Yet they find that that prepped them perfectly for another career. Well, I guess there's two things going on there. Uh, Those who just want to go to law school for the sake of law school to build a resume would be one thing. And it's a good thing in law school because it really does teach you to think in a certain rational way to reason things out, to spot Mm, things that are important, mm, to weed mm. out things that aren't important. Mm. So law is a good education for that that reason. And I think I have a lot of friends who are pretty wealthy guys now, not in law, who were in law and got out of law. And I think two things happen. One, they get exposed. Let's say you, through circumstance, you go into a law firm. And they say, well, we want to put you in a big law firm, our real estate division. Well, after a while, I think two things happen to these people. Number one, they see how much money some of these real estate guys are making. Oh. And after they develop the shopping center, they don't even have to be there. Right. I'm, a, the most, <laughs> right, I'm the most right. successful real estate lawyer in the world. And on the East Coast in Baltimore, I get a crappy 400 an hour. In L.A., I might get a thousand an hour, but I actually have to work those hours. The real estate guy, he's off in vacationing, and you know, in St. Bart's, and he's making a fortune. Right. Somebody's collecting rent. So I think they, they they see that, and they're going like, "How can I do that?" And all the ones that I know, for example, most of the ones I know have done that are in real estate. They get offered deals uh, by the people they're working with, and they like them. Say, so "We'll give you ten percent of this deal, oh. fifteen. And they they have learned that business now. They now have become expert in the real estate business because they're rep- represent, representing real estate people. So it's an opportunity for them to go into another area that they might find interesting and certainly more lucrative, because the most expensive lawyers who get paid by the hour get paid by the hour. How many hours in a week? even right. if you get top rate and you've got to be there. And that's the biggest thing why big law firms to me are the worst place in the world to, to go as a well, young we, lawyer. We, we read John Grisham. We saw the firm. We saw there you we go. Pelican there you Brief. Are. We exactly. know how that works. Exactly. So uh, that, that that's what happened. So I think they, it's a segue into other areas. Uh, some who might represent pharmaceutical companies and they want to get in-house counsel and they, they're doing that and get much more money. So that's why I think they switched off the original legal legal careers. But I know at least three of my friends that are pretty wealthy guys in Baltimore, and re- all in real estate, and that's how they they got into real Interesting. estate. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, uh, you you see that a lot, where they, 
you know, I guess if you could track Harvard law graduates right. over the years into various, that would be an interesting visualization to yeah. see where did they end up. And I think the, uh, yeah, Harvard law graduates, men, men and women coming out of there, uh, I'm willing to bet you, it's pure guess, but this is the guessing game, at least half probably are not practicing law anymore. I'm going to guess it's more than half. Yeah, because it's a pretty stressful thing and to do that. For example, even with me. Now, why is it stressful? What criminal law? Because yeah. you got you got people like you worried about the clock hitting six minutes, and I just wasted <laughs> you know five, five and a half minutes talking to Sylvester. I'm gonna send you a Mark. Mark, for this are you podcast. there? Are you there? Are you there? And you look at your clock, and, they, and you hung up at like a second short of six. And you, damn, I can't bill them on that. So because of people like you, we had a uh, animation with my animation company. We had a. It was called uh, the firm was called Forensic Analysis. I think that's what it was, forensic analysts, something like that, and uh, FAA. And they would get hired to do the recreations of big um, product failures. So the, the, I remember the famous one they did was uh, a Marriott in Texas where the, the uh, elevator, or not elevator, the, uh, the tramway kind of bridge between the two towers failed and people died. And so they get brought in, and because we were computer animation, right. they could um, rebuild it, animate it, failure analysis, that's what it was, and they uh, could show that to the jury. Right. And sometimes it was interesting, they could be hired by both sides uh, to, to show a case. Sure. Well, I'm talking to the guy who's actually the animator there, one of the animators, and I said, you're like three revs back on the software, dude. Why, why don't you upgrade? And he goes, says I have to charge I have to charge everything back to a client everything and this is when I initially learned about 6 minutes right and so I I can't even read the manual to learn how something's done because I don't know who to bill that training back to right and god forbid you might we just want to do it to become better educated yeah no 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 no, yeah. no. that was like and I was like huh that was my first he says yeah this business is run by lawyers and we can't do that and I said right. huh Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, but back to the stressfulness mm -hmm. of it, it seems like the stress is on that person you're defending. Are they going to get me off? Are they going to? Uh, to a great extent. And again, it depends. Like domestic relations, uh, the people are obviously by definitions are stressed out. Child custody. Can oh, I, I, I just, that'd so that, be so, awful. And what happens there is why I, in the beginning, of course, you, you do any kind of case to make a living when you first start out. And you, my two happiest days in my life were the day I was making enough money I could get an unlisted phone number and I could stop taking domestic cases because mm. everything is a crisis. Uh, it's Christmas Day. The kids aren't back yet. It's Christmas Day. I can't get the kids. They call the crisis. lawyer? They call you? Oh, sure. They, and then you got to find a judge as Ian Chambers to get the emergency order signed and because everything, so much of it is, 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 is time-wise. And you're dealing with people who just... You're like, you got, you got to have a you surprise. I never had the bedside manner for that. You know, I just didn't really want to hear about it. And uh, so that's a lot of stress. The, the corporate client, uh, they don't understand. Sometimes, uh, lo and behold, cases are decided by the facts, and the greatest lawyers in the world lose cases sometimes. And, right. and then the client gets mad. And if it's a big client, then the lawyer might, the senior partner is going to blame the junior partner. You blew this. Now, you know, you're fired. And they're going to make the big client happy. I'll let that lawyer go. So it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure on the lawyer uh, in, in that. Uh, I think the only, I was thinking the other day, like if it would have, could have, should have. So I think the, the, the area with the least stress might be immigration law. Because when you lose the case there, they ship them out of the country and they can't call and bother you. So that might be, you know, the best area for that to do that. Outside of that, you know. The person who's listening to the show, uh, again, they've got some kind of tie to business. Um, and they're interviewing an attorney to have, right. you know, have someone. So it's going to be someone probably helping with contracts and, you know, all those kind of things. What are the, there's kind of the obvious questions to ask. What in your history are the best questions to get to that get to the nub that the civilian doesn't know to ask yeah i mean i guess it's just experience that's the old thing like in lawyer advertising at one time they wanted to introduce a bill in maryland to put it in all the tv ads uh lawyer advertising is not the best way to choose a lawyer and i don't know that there is a, a best way as such uh i guess if you're interviewing a lawyer you want to get somebody to me the, the perfect age uh, the perfect age might be 
40 to 45, that this person's been around long huh. enough, they have lots of experience, huh. but young enough, you're going to have them to ride into the sunset with you. I wouldn't, and I'm oh. sure there's very brilliant, oh, good point. Yeah, brilliant young lawyers, and there's moron middle-aged lawyers. But as a rule, I would only have one that's going to be with me through and through, but who's got plenty of experience. And then if this person, and certain things have to go to court. So I want to make sure if it's a firm that they have a trial lawyer, because in anything you do in law, whatever kind of case it is, unless there's a fear factor from the defense that you are ready, willing, and able to go to court, they're not going to negotiate with you fairly. So if it's, a, if it's an individual person with a boutique law firm, I'm going to say to that person, do you have any trial experience? And if they go, well, no, I refer it out to my buddy down the street to do trial work, I probably would eliminate that guy because the insurance company or whoever the other adverse party is going to know that, and they're not going to, like, be scared of that person. You know, oh. you, want them, you want them scared. Yeah, walking down the street, you say, we were talking about our friend Dave Wheaton, the, 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 Kim, the king hop keto guy in the world. Nobody's going to go try to mug him because they know he can lash right. out. You go to a little old guy. And it's the same thing with law. When you, when you deal with a firm is dealing with a lawyer that they know is not going to court, what are you afraid of? Okay. So, okay, this, this reminds me of uh, my current software company, Intranetworks. I, we needed a, we wanted a local firm and I said, and I didn't, I had no clue, mm -hmm. um, and no, no way to know. So I asked a friend and he said, do you want a shark or do you want someone who will have your back? Mm -hmm. And he knew of two guys. Right. And I, and that was really a dilemma for me. And I, and I said, I want someone who's got my back. Right. It wasn't that much of a dilemma. Now they think of it as like, I, why did I want a shark? I wanted someone who had my back. And I got a great guy. And then we got our first board member. What who was said, his point, though, when he said the shark? What was he saying? Was someone who's just going to just that I, I thought of trial. I thought of right. that, okay. you know, that guy who's yeah. been a mean lawyer and right. no one's going to mess with you when you, uh -huh. you know, someone finds out you've got this guy's. So, okay. You want you want the guy that's both. That, and I don't think. Well, I think I don't want, think they're mutually exclusive, quite frankly. Yeah, I think you want both. But right. what happened is we got our first outside director for the right. company and he's looking at everything and he said, Hold it! If this company is going to go someplace, yeah. we need a we need a firm that's got a white shoe firm, and we ended up going up to Sand Hill Road up in the uh -huh. the valley and right. getting that firm, which right. ended up costing. And it's still our firm to this day, right. but. Well, I tell you, we've got the best legal advice. Which is good. Just well, well, my point was, I don't know that you're exclusive in that the same guy. Like I like to look so on myself as a rational person who, if it's better for my client for many reasons, not to go to court. We don't go to court. That's my goal to get a good result without going through the, right. the emotional anxiety for the client right. of going to right. court. But on the other hand, in Baltimore, for example, I've been around forever and I've been in and out of courtrooms forever. So they know if the guy says to me, well, they'll take it to court, I'll go fine. You know, you want to take the papers tomorrow. So I don't know that it's mutually exclusive. I, I mean, ideally, I want a lawyer like the one you, the people you have now but someone who also has plenty of trial experience. Right. Because you negotiate differently just from, from, from my own demeanor. And I've seen this when I've gone up against lawyers in the big law firms, guys with big reputations who crumble uh, when I file the papers because they're frightened to oh. death. They go, yeah, they crumble. Oh, geez, they, they, they don't know how to do it. They're frightened. To, oh, my God, I better practice. I better rehearse. And they write out their stupid little stuff. And uh, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many times when, when these guys who – uh, I call them the white man's lawyers, you know, those kind of guys. And they go, you know, the, the typical high country club set kind of guy who thinks he's big because he's got a, a handkerchief matching his tie. And I can't tell you how many times when they would be doing whatever statement they're doing to the jury in civil cases, the most boring, and they have this laborious notes, and I would actually go. Oh, you would do that. Oh, and then the judge would yell at me, you know, which, you know, you're, let me tell you, you know you're doing a good job when the yell, judge yells at you. Any lawyer that you see in court and the judge says, and Mr. Sylvester, I want to compliment you. You did a fine job. All that means is you rolled over. That's the lawyer you don't want that gets complimented by the ju judge. Believe me, you don't. So, uh, I think I want to end it right there is I, I get to make sure my lawyer can snore. Right. Right. That's, yeah. You and want and it's, absolutely. it's a little cocky and goes in and, uh, yeah, again, it's I, a sense that they pick up from you when you're negotiating, I'm sure in what you've done, you're, you've been 
and you're, you're a multi-career guy and, and you're software developing companies and they have, people have to have a res- not be afraid of you, but a respect for right, you right. to know that you'll do what you got to do to get it done. And, yeah. and you negotiate differently when you had that self-confidence. If I hadn't been in the state's attorney's office for almost three years in Baltimore doing nothing but felony major cases, it made me a different person coming right, out of there. Right, if I can right, do that, right. I can try. There's nothing I can't try. Yeah. Steve, thanks for joining us. Listen. Just boom, over, I, I, just like that. Done out. Closing statement. A closing, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it. Um, w- so one of the things that uh, we do on the show is um, we know that the title of the show is really important because someone, you know, they listened to one, they really liked it. Now they're going to look at the back catalog and there's a whole list of titles. And it's like, whoa, which one should I listen to now? And so titles are like a big deal. So you're a great writer. You wrote other taglines. What, so what, what would be a great title for this conversation that helps them understand the gist of what it was? Well, we could say, uh, let's talk about it, Eclectic yeah. Law with Steve. Or if we want the title to suck him in right away, we could just say, Pornography Special. <laughs> and then we'd certainly get a huge list okay, of Okay, probably wouldn't do that one. Right, okay. Okay, I, I like the Eclectic Law. Okay. I like I like Eclectic that. Law with Steve. Yeah, we'll have that. Okay. Steve, thank you so much. Thanks for I having appreciate me. I appreciate it. It, it was uh, the, for those of you who don't know, Steve is very comfortable in front of the microphone. Had a show for eight plus years uh, in Baltimore, and now you can find him having coffee with somebody in the morning uh, or dinner someplace around town. Uh, very very well connected guy. I also want to thank. Um, California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Polstering Press. This is just a great place to have these conversations. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, send us a note, partner at 805connect.com. And once you finish this episode, before you put the phone down, we'd love it if you rate, write, or review. That really helps us with iTunes. We're on um, all of the major podcasting networks. And then you can do a trick that I do. Steve, you know what I do when I, I meet someone? I ask them if they like podcasts, and they go, yeah. And, I, and they typically have not heard of mine, but they, oh, that's cool. They like that. Yes. I say, give me your phone. And they hand me the phone, and I go and I find the podcast app, and I Type in 805, it's, there's three, so it's a perfect right. name. It comes up first. I hit the subscribe button, and boom, I've, I've got another one. So That's why you're successful. That's exactly it. It's, I take right. that initiative, and I would love to hear from you if you've got any questions or if you've got an idea for a great guest um, for an upcoming show. Drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.